I'm Pip and welcome back to The Overshare. In this episode, I talk to a great friend and all-round legend, Tulula Taki, who speaks so wonderfully openly and honestly about her own experiences of our friendship, her anxiety and much more as we try and get through as many of your suggestions and questions on this huge topic as possible. If you do enjoy this episode, I would be so grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe. And of course, if you do have any suggestions, please don't hesitate to get in touch. I hope you enjoy. Yay. Okay, should we get going? Okay, one sec. For his portrayal of... Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) Anyway, is everybody sitting comfortably? Have you got a milkshake there? No, that was a nice coffee, but I've just finished it so it won't make a noise. How lovely. I've got a, a hot coffee. Do I sound clear? You sound crystal clear. Do I sound clear? You do sound clear. Great. I'm really excited. In terms of an introduction for yourself, I imagine most people who listen will know exactly who you are. Probably from social media platforms and stuff. But you just want to give us your name, your age, and maybe how you know me. Hello, Overshare listeners. The millions of them. Of which I am one, so this is very exciting for me. My name is Tallulah. I am, did you ask for my age? Yeah, I would like that. Yes, I am 20, but I will be 21 next month, which is very exciting because I've waited a very long time because I'm such a baby. Um, so I'm, my name is Tallulah, I'm 21, and no, I'm not, I'm 20. <laughs> Sorry. And I know Pip. Funny story. I'll give the, the short version. Yes, sure. So um, Pip has a lovely boyfriend and he is a great friend of mine. And that is how I met her. Stunning. And we'll, we'll get into how that actually came about. More on that later. And a little more on that later. Um, and if people don't know you from TikTok, then oh God. what is wrong with them? And wait, what was, how many views did your video about the... About the boys in Exeter. About the boys in Exeter. So I'd just like to say, firstly though, that it really it really has bothered me. Like it's something that I've had to actually get over. The fact that, so I was adamant to not get TikTok. I, my housemates at university had it and would make videos and stuff. And I just, I didn't really understand it. So I, I couldn't really get on board. And then obviously lockdown happened as I think a lot of people who now have TikTok have experienced. And I was like, well, I might as well figure it out. And then I realised how fantastic it is as an app. And as someone who really enjoys drama and acting and things like that, I really enjoyed the side of it where you can learn sort of monologues and then you do like the voiceover. The the iconic quotes, so to speak, and then you get the timing perfect. Yeah. So I won't lie, I spent an entire day Bearing in mind, I'm meant to be writing my dissertation. Spent an entire day learning the speech that Meryl Streep delivers in *The Devil Wears Prada* when she, um, when Anne Hathaway laughs at like them saying that two blue belts look the same, and she explains how you know. You did do it justice. So I was like really honing my craft. I was like, this is you know this is going to take me places. And then as a laugh. I was like, right, let's see how vain this app is. So I made a 60 second video um, that was sort of 
it was called like introducing the finest men of Exeter. So I go to the University of Exeter as we both do, did. Um, and I think there are six boys that I, I just screenshot. Oh God, I'm such a loser. Screenshot photos of their Instagram. I would just like to clarify that four out of the six are very good friends of mine. Some people, some people thought I didn't know any of them and they were like, who is this stalker girl? Admittedly, one of them I know I've met a handful of times and have spoken to since the video went viral and apologised. And then one of them is a fresher who I've never spoken to, never met and have never heard from since. So I apologise to him if he took any offence. But so, yeah, so I just made this video of their literally their faces and their names and it got out of hand so i think we're almost i think it's like four hundred and fifty thousand views now but i then got really excited because i was like okay who cares that that's the one that's taken off whatever that that will mean that people will then see the ones that i'm actually putting effort into but no not yet no we haven't we haven't taken off really it was a i think i got my my five minutes of fame it got a bit wearing the amount of people that were screenshotting like 25 people had messaged me like ha 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 seen the video after that it got it got a bit boring yeah so you had a taste of fame and it wasn't like great yeah well it wasn't for me you're kind of a bit old for tiktok aren't you really yeah this is the thing well we were just discussing about how the tiktok generation has created a new wave of 15 year old influencers it spiced up my lockdown a bit so at least good. i had that good okay so I thought a really fun way to kind of start and ask how you were. So thought we could do quite what we do anyway, off air, in our real lives. Um, In our real friendship. (laughs) Yeah. So the thoughts for the day, it's a really, it's not really a game. It's just, it's just a thing. And I'm not going to lie. I have tried it with a couple of other people and it's just not been reciprocated at all. I really enjoy, well... I feel like we kind of did it even not as like actual lists, but quite often when we catch up, we sometimes they would be like proper rants. And then some days it would be like, I realised today that uh, my left foot is bigger than the like Honestly, just random stuff. So, so the rules of the game, which is not really a game, are basically you have to write three thoughts that just kind of appear in your head at that moment in time on that day. And the only real rule is that they can't be negative. So say you're feeling really low or really cross with yourself, you have to try and spin it in a positive light. And it sounded so naff. I remember seeing someone else do it online. And I just thought, I'm just not wholesome enough for that. And I I just can't. But then kind of the version that we do, it's so raw and honest. I love it. It's just naked thoughts, um, which is great. And I actually scrolled back a few old ones of ours and they're really funny um amazing i said why there's so many dilfs on the district line that was one of my that's less actually, worldly but equally that's astute. so true they really are there it's just flooded saturated but do you want me to go first um mine are quite short yeah you go first because mine are, mine are random today but you okay. go first i did these on my walk this morning so the first one is just really actually widely known phenomenon that the mug or the vessel or the glass 
makes the world of difference to the beverage so true like, we actually had an argument in this household there have been family debates about the um i'm trying to, i want to say this without it sounding inappropriate the rim thickness yeah <laughs> yes the lip of the cup i enjoy a thin lip of the cup whereas my mum is more of a thick lip of the cup lady she's an emma bridgewater girl we digress sorry so that the first thought of the day was oh and you can only do three so you have to pick oh yeah Second one, I was walking behind a lady who was out walking her ferret. And I just thought, you know what? Happiness just looks different to everyone. I don't think for me it will ever be walking a ferret around Stockwell. Um, But for her it is, and I've seen her loads of times. And she's quite a trendy young gal. And she just loves her ferret, which is really stinky. But yeah, so happiness looks different for everyone. Was um, The second one and then the third one was a negative that I've tried to make sound a bit more positive, which was that I really need to stop thinking or assuming people will think I'm lazy just because I'm not working objectively really hard. So for example, I have planned to have two months off before my grad job starts, but I'm already trying to look for another job for those two months I promised myself I'd have off because I'm so scared of people calling me lazy. So I need to stop doing that that was my my third and final thought for this fine sunday i like that take it away yeah mine are interesting today i'm hoping people don't think i'm too much of a freak (laughs) okay so the first one is that i have found uh, i don't know how to phrase it i i i'm a sucker for the unattainable okay especially in terms of men and I think I've found the man that I'm meant to be with on TikTok. The only problem is that he lives in Australia. I'm not sure how I'm going to go about that, but I actually do have a lot of faith in myself. And I'm planning to go to Australia October of next year. You never know. And that whole thing of um, manifesting, you know, manifesting your own reality. So I'm really optimistic about that, if I'm honest. Um, I'm a hopeless romantic, as you can tell. It's very doable. Um, the second one is that I think it is one of the um, film industry, particularly the Academy's uh, greatest snubs that Al Pacino was never given an Oscar for his portrayal of Michael Corleone in The Godfather, particularly The Godfather Part 2. Anyone <laughs> on the board of Oscars is listening right now. Sort it sort out. Sort that out all these years later, given what he deserves. And then the third one is also film related because obviously I've been in lockdown and watching more television than I would. And so I watched um, on Netflix the film Letters to Juliet. Have you ever seen it? No, my portfolio of films watched is honestly about five or six films. So here's the thing. You could give this one a miss. In my opinion, it's a terrible film. The acting is just so cringeworthy that it makes you sort of not enjoy it. Anyway, the premise is that in Verona, you can go and visit Juliet's house, you know, from Romeo and Juliet. There's a wall and women go and put love letters or ask Juliet for help. And these older women write back to all of the women that have left their addresses on these letters. And towards the end of the film, Vanessa Redgrave, who wrote the letter, sorry, this is (laughs) long-winded, reads out the reply that she got from Amanda Seyfried. And it was the only part of the film 
that actually really stopped me in my track. I'd like to just quickly read it to you. I felt very touched by it. Yeah, it's not going to win any Oscars, this film. But this one bit, particularly being read by such a lovely actress lady, I thought was really good. And it, and it goes like this. <laughs> what and if are two words as non-threatening as words can be, but put them together side by side and they have the power to haunt you for the rest of your life. What if? What if? What if? I don't know how your story ended, but if what you felt then was true love, then it is never too late. If it was true then, why wouldn't it be true now? You need only the courage to follow your heart. I don't know what a love like Juliet's felt like. A love to leave loved ones for, a love to cross oceans for, but I'd like to believe if I were ever to feel it, that I'd have the courage to seize it. How beautiful. And it's just the way that Vanessa Redgrave reads it as well. I just thought it was so lovely. And yeah, that's really stayed with me. So that's another thought of That's your, day. your third and final thought of the day. Love that. Indeed. As unlikely as love stories get and as impossible. I think it's similar to sort of when you read quotes. I saw the other day. So I was looking, I think it was on Instagram. And one person's story said, good things come to those who go out there and work their asses off and go get it. Yeah. And then on the, then like someone else's story said something, something like be patient and good things will come to you. And I just thought, Ooh, interesting. Those people are reading something. And if a quote doesn't suit you, you generally tend to think it's not great. Whereas if the quote suits you in that moment and you want to believe in it, then it really resonates. But it's funny because I think they're a big opinion splitter and so Definitely. hopeless romantics are they also fall the other side of the fence from people who are like right person wrong time what of it and someone like you might might be like no right person age 12 right person age 35 I'm getting them honestly that's me it's sort of my body knows that that's never gonna happen but this tiny part of me is like but you never know yeah, I'm unfortunately a bit too practical and I draw a line under things and I'm like, you know, came and gone, hype vibe. Anyway, but you and I, our own love story is quite unlikely, which is quite fun as well. It is. And having spent a lot of the past week thinking about what people add to my life and whose opinions really matter, what life signals should I be following? I don't like being 23 and just going to say it. It's really confusing time yeah everyone weird age and now because of this ting ting that we've been going through we have so much time to just sit and overthink which is stunning for everyone fantastic for the overthinkers of the world really is we i sit so firmly in that category there is nothing particularly free-spirited about me and i mean this podcast is called the overshare because i overthink and then i overshare and that's kind of just how the cookie crumbles in my life um, but I also think that that fundamentally is how we became friends. Yes, we are an unlikely friendship. I just love that other people think it's ridiculous. I think it's interesting how many girls in particular, not that there are loads, but the the few sort of airs of criticism about our friendship and the way that we have become friends or the situation from which our friendship was born. The criticism from girls in particular I think is interesting because you know we live in a world where people are always especially nowadays it's like feminism and women supporting women and some people in particular have loved to be like oh it's so strange that you 
you two are friends, such good friends as well. And they love to, to tell me as if I've completely yeah. forgotten how we met. It's great. Yeah. So long story short, you, Tallulah, and my boyfriend, George, had a thing before, like while we were all at uni together. So not years ago, that yes. um, it was, didn't interfere in our relationship in any way. Um, but lots of people found it really odd that you and I are friends when actually that is how we know each other. From my point of view, and Pip and I have discussed this, plenty yeah so yeah so George and I were romantically involved in the in our first term at university there were other aspects to it I wasn't very well at the time um and he was a great help in that respect and it was it was sort of an interesting situation where like neither he nor I I don't think would ever refer to I was not I'm not an ex-girlfriend but um yeah I had some had some issues in in my brain at at the time and and really wasn't doing very well and he he was a massive massive help with that so then a year later I hadn't seen him in ages and then we went to a a, went to a party and he then told me I'm seeing someone and you know I really like her I think I'm gonna ask her to be my girlfriend and I'm not gonna lie like that threw me for six and it was more so and you and I've discussed this in the past it wasn't because I was like oh but I love you it was because I was like you were the person that I thought was going to fix me. And if you're off with someone else, mm. how's that going to happen? He's one of the only people in my life who I've been able to navigate a very tricky set of circumstances with and, and come out and, and remain great friends. There was a point when I was, my best way of explaining it was like I was drowning. And you know that thing where, I don't know if you ever had this, especially if you've had siblings, you might understand this, where you'd be in the pool on holiday and then you'd get into the deep end and you couldn't really do it. And you'd be, you'd like reach for the other person and semi drown them in trying to keep yourself afloat. And it was very much that situation where it got to a point where he had to say to me, like, we're both going to really fall. Drown. (laughs) Yeah, we're both going to drown if this doesn't get sorted out. And actually it's one of, it's something I really respect respect him for because it's so true you, you can't fix someone especially with mental health issues you can obviously support someone of which he did endlessly but when it comes down to it someone you know if you if you've got some issues you need to you need to sort them out and yeah so it really threw me for six I actually cried I don't know if I've ever told you that I think it was like a panic that I was like my my person who you know is gonna save me is is going and and then I remember being very nervous to meet you and and then we met and then it turned out that we actually had someone completely different in common someone who pip used to be romantically involved with when she had a past life at a different university we actually would from the get-go had quite long chats not about yeah it didn't take it didn't take long at all for us to feel quite comfortable speaking at length about I guess what a lot of people might take years or months to even kind of delve into, we are both naturally would rather just put everything out on the table. Yeah, and we never, it's not like we ever argued it and we're kind of making it sound like we didn't get on. It was never that we didn't get on, it's that we didn't know each other to begin with. So this was when we'd all come back to university in the September of what was my second year and Pip's final year. Yeah. Things were drastically different for me. I was on some medication. I'd I'd sort of worked through quite a lot of stuff, and so I was in a much more stable position and was having, I mean, the time of my life. I mean, bearing in mind in my first year, my freshers week ended in hospital because of my brain issues, not physical, like yeah. drunk or anything. Um, whereas in second year, 
I was like, oh, this is what everyone was doing. Like, this is the fun that everyone was having. I was having the time of my life. So it then allowed me, I suppose, to let go of the th- of thinking that George was going to, you know, save me. Again, it was weird because I wasn't um, an ex-girlfriend, but I was also like a friend that he, I think, probably had concerns about because I was such a nutcase. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like I just never saw my friend again or, yeah. or anything. So I was then really conscious of being very respectful. I felt like the best, and I'm a big talker, as I'm sure you can tell from this podcast. <laughs> I'm really 50 minutes yeah. in <laughs> I was like the best thing for us to do is to just let out best thing for me to do is be honest you were like yeah so fair and then from the get-go things were things were pretty chilled I remember once actually you know months down the line every everyone was happy and good at this stage and I remember we were on a night out and I saw George he said to me he was like thank you so much for not effort because that makes it sound like I was trying but he was like it really means the world to me that you of all people you know really get on with Pip and I was like well you know if she was shit then obviously I wouldn't but just you know thank god from my point of view I I was never worried I think a lot of people wondered why I wasn't jealous or wondered why I didn't find it weird and I was like at the end of the day if Tallulah and I went to university and we were put in the same flat we get on like a house on fire, therefore why would I waste a potential really, really good friendship with so much value to be gained from it just because of some things that went on when I wasn't even part of her life, I wasn't really part of her friendship group, I barely was so on the fringes at that point, we were living very, very different lives. Yeah, exactly. Why on earth would I have cause for concern when nothing has been motivated by malice against me? That all aside, I would have no reason not to be friends with you. In fact, I'd actively really want to be we don't even spend time really talking about that ever I mean it's so no. it was so long ago it's weird but it's just interesting and really fun how how the kind of dynamic has turned out and I I remember when you came to my third year house for supper and my housemates who are just heaven they really were but they'd only ever heard your name in like the kind of history of my that my boyfriend so they were <coughs> confused yeah. They're like, what? Really? Why? And I was like, oh, just wait, like, you'll love her. And then you came over and they were like, that's so weird, but so fun. I think it was one of those things where I know that I've spoken, obviously, to friends and stuff, and no one's that keen on their new partner's proper ex-person. Yeah. But I think that that's quite often because of this idea that, you know, a misunderstanding of how, like, people compartmentalise love and how you can love someone for a period of time and it can very much come to an end. Yeah. But also I think it was with us that we were both, I mean, we would, I feel like we were destined to be friends anyway. So had we, as you say, met in different circumstances, it would have been the same. Just communicating that there was like a lot of respect and between, even between the three of us collectively, a lot of love, like I love both of you so much. I love George for everything that he did for me and being a great friend. I love you for being, I mean, the nearly two years that we have now been been friends, you've helped me no end and also just been so much fun to have as a friend. I think also what's so fun for me, I look at you and I don't see that history. I view you incredibly independently as a friend of mine like we've had so much fun with so many other people and I never look at you and think that it's really funny if I'm just sort of brushing over how I know you yeah and and I also think I don't know if it's worth saying but I feel 
for me, I feel mainly because that person that I was then feels like a completely different person. And it's the only time in my life that I've ever experienced that where I look back on myself in my first year at university and because of all these issues that I was sort of coming up against and that really came to the surface and bearing in mind the effort that I then put in from the following two years till now to overcome those obstacles, that person, particularly in the first term of my first year at university, I was only, I was 18. If I look at her, I feel like I can see a different person. Also, for me, I'm, incred- I'm just incredibly grateful to anyone that is very understanding of the things that, that were happening at that moment yeah. in time. And- I think also for me, because I had undergone a similar transformation yeah. of self, I had a real messy year before I went to university and then it took me a real long time. It's a whole other day to settle into university. So I think actually when we met, we were both at stages where we'd discovered a new more peaceful yeah, life and it was so a true. really nice time to kind of team up and reflect on all of it and we definitely yeah. unlikely friendships aside we also talk a lot about mental health there's no way you can cover in an hour or even a hundred hours but something that I think we've both thought talking therapy is like nothing really beats it I mean obviously disclaimer neither of us are professionals but on my question box yesterday there are so many great anecdotes and questions that I think we will you and I will really enjoy kind of dissecting we're not medically professionally qualified but in terms of normalizing the anecdotes and the feelings and perhaps for people that have been incredibly fortunate to never never kind of have that unwavered sense of peace and um, calmness in their lives bit of a reality as to what it kind of how anxiety manifests in a normal life because at the end of the day that's more than one in four people are affected by it yet we all go to university hold down jobs relationships very much ebbs and flows but quite funny some people talking to and about their anxiety in the third person which made me giggle so much because it's so it's just so true and so relatable um so I don't know how you kind of want to start with that or if you're happy for me to just kind of throw some questions out there and then you can kind of yeah talk as much or as little as you like about your own um experiences so the the morning the waking up part of the day came up a a lot um everyone just saying in the morning when in the morning when I wake up and feel I wake up and feel so lots of sort of morning attacks I guess and the first thing that greets them is that anxiety or a feeling of just nah, can't do today so wake up and basically feel like they wake up and the first thing they think is that they can't do today and that they feel very trapped by their anxiety and it the day starting that way prevents them going forth and achieving what they want to achieve. What are our feelings about that waking up and not being able to get out of bed? I know obviously there are people who have never experienced um, anxiety, depression, but I think this feeling is one that is almost universal. There will always be, almost everyone will have experienced at one point in their life, a time when getting out of bed was particularly hard. I, in my first year at university, which is when sort of everything for me came to a head, I would wake up in the morning. Um, I think it's especially, I don't know if anyone has mentioned this, but especially difficult, obviously, in the winter months when 
it's dark when you wake up. I always found that particularly difficult. I used to wake up basically and I don't know if I have to give a trigger warning or anything like that, but um Well you're just gonna speak quite openly and honestly about your yeah, experience. About, so if you yeah. don't if you're not keen to hear that then skip forward a little bit. I basically would would wake up in the morning and, and essentially be uh upset and frustrated that I had woken up. I um had never actively uh planned a suicide or or dealt too much with uh that but uh, i there were very passive feelings of like i can't do this anymore and and if i could just go to sleep and just remain asleep that would that would yeah i've spoken to you know obviously mental health professionals about that and they say that that is that is common for for people with anxiety and depression that sort of passive feeling of everything is too much if i could just sort of go into a sleep coma until this feeling had gone then that you know I would choose to do that and I suppose almost a feeling of I just don't feel ready to take Mm. on another one and there's no feeling of yes let's smash the morning it's like it's a shame that this has come around again so quickly (laughs) and that and that thing of um particularly as a sort of young person so maybe late teens early 20s but particularly going to university my anxieties that came in the morning were about the fact that as you say another day was coming around and I felt less and less capable to deal with it and I remember thinking like how am I ever going to live adult life if I can't just get out of bed this morning and I think that's is that what you would call like a feelings of grandeur so you can't just look at like the here and now the small little small battles that you've yeah. got to face yeah I remember thinking like oh my god I'm you know how am I ever gonna go, go and get a job if I have this like crippling anxiety where I you know can't leave my room or can't even get out of bed I'll just say what I did at the time to try and combat this uh, coping mechanisms that were given to me by healthcare professionals but also in the years since where I've really been an advocate for talking and, and seeing what other people have, have done to cope. One of which, which I thought, you know, is really simple, but I get out of bed and open any windows that are in my room. Obviously, I'm hoping that most people have at least one window in their room. Get some outside, inside. Going on. Yeah, definitely. So I am. Um, and even if I then get back into bed, I sort of you've got some air coming in as you say sort of I find that a bit of a release if like especially if I haven't slept well if there's anxiety in in that respect I'm I'm sure people have been told all of these various things before so like um I swear by the app Headspace trying to make it more narrow in terms of you know very small battles so basically the one thing that really did help me obviously it doesn't work for everyone but during those times the night before um, so even if I didn't know if I was going to wake up with with the anxiety or not, but I would make a list of very small battles that I was going to have to face. So getting up and opening the window would be one. Getting out of bed, that was another. Eating breakfast would be one. Brushing my teeth would be one. Uh, putting clean, like proper clean and like day clothes not just you know slacks or or staying in your pajamas that would be one and even if then you know even if that only took a few hours I could give myself a bit of a break in terms of like okay I'm not achieving you know these vast goals or or anything but as someone who is suffering at the at the moment and is struggling I've managed to tick off and I physically do tick off because for me that that helped 
these small battles that I was facing. And I mean, it's proven by science that getting showered, dressed can really start your day. Help. As one of the questions was sort of how do I support someone with anxiety? And I'm hoping that when we kind of go through various coping mechanisms that will be helpful for everyone but I am a list obsessive I have been since I was really small and on my list I have the same thing because even if by 7.45 all I've achieved is those three little things there is no feeling like starting the day properly I guess and a friend of mine who's a lot younger than I am and she has really struggled for a long time with anxiety and homeschooling has been a nightmare as in not conducive for her at all so it's coming up with a new list, which is tidy your workspace, um, get a glass of water, put it there. And it's not actually procrastinating. It's doing tiny things that make you feel a little more empowered to take on the slightly bigger things, which at the start of the day would have been like, no, not today, yeah. really not today. But then actually because you've done X, Y, and Z, and not just because you've done it, but because you've managed to see it and achieve it, no matter how small. I mean, my list has got to the point where I've got like stretch my hip for 20 seconds on it yeah. because just manageable and not so scary. And no matter how yeah. old you are, how successful you are, what stage you're at in your career, when things feel overwhelming, being able to tick off tiny goals makes a huge difference in more than one way. It's all really small, but really big difference. Another thing that I always say is like, don't beat yourself up about the fact that you that you know you've woken up and today like feels like a really bad day I hope that if that is what you you're facing at the moment that you have at least one person in your life that you can turn to and just say that in terms of as you said supporting someone who is struggling the primary thing I always think is to be just be there that doesn't necessarily mean you need to be messaging them every day but if you make it very clear that the lines of communication are very open um nothing's gonna freak you out my best friend in the whole world has seen me go through i mean some terrible things and the her primary thing was always just saying like nothing you ever do is gonna freak me out she always made it very clear that nothing was gonna be too much for her to deal with i was always really worried about being a burden to someone um which i think is a really common worry to your parents or it's to your friends especially at university where it's easy to kind of shrink away yeah especially with with maybe friends that you um that you don't necessarily know that well if you're sort of starting out at university or starting in a new environment anywhere and I would say that that is the prime I'm sure this will come up if people have asked you other questions but the primary primary thing that I think I have learned and I've had a difficult relationship with university the University of Exeter as a specific university but the university experience as a whole but the one thing like I would not change it because of this one lesson um that if you ask for help from anyone the likelihood is that you will receive it and unfortunately there are people in the world who are just dicks and are not very helpful but the one thing that that the past few years have have taught me is like the vast amount of kindness that people are willing to show if they know that you are struggling I think maybe my prime primary example of that especially at university was during my freshers week when things were really taking a pretty heavy drastic 
turn this was just before I had to go to hospital I actually went and knocked on the door of a girl that was in my flat who I'd known for three days hadn't spent that much time with her necessarily even in those three days but um I went and asked her if she would sleep in my bed with me at the time but also looking back now was such an and she didn't even question she didn't ask even why obviously it then became very clear why because I had this um, like chronic shaking and like visibly distressed I suppose as well so I didn't necessarily have to explain it but um she just came instantly came and slept in my bed with me and it was like I remember it being one of the kindest things that anyone had ever done for me her name's Taylor and she's to this day I like I will never ever forget that and then obviously we we carried on with our university careers and we we never lived together again but every time I see her I, it just reminds me of that moment in particular and just how fantastic I think she is as a human being there's nothing you know that I, I wouldn't do for her if yeah. she called on me and I think um that's an important thing that I've learned, not only in terms of if I need help to, to ask for it, but also making myself as approachable as possible for others should they need to ask me for help, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, and also really making it incredibly clear that actually it's always worth reaching out because... Yeah. And actually, if anyone has reached out and had a bad reception, try again because you have been so unlucky. Yeah. The vast majority of times someone will say, someone will help you. And even if they feel like they can't, they would, we hope, be kind enough to, um, you know, say, oh, well, no, but my friend is really good at talking about this kind of thing. And Yeah. Um, Can I just quickly add one more thing yeah, that I've just remembered? Please. I would say that in my recovery or whatever, and I'm, if for the podcasters, I'm putting that in inverted commas, um, something else that I think is really, really important to learn is that as someone who isn't currently suffering it's your it's on your back to put yourself on the line uh for someone else so my example of this is i when i was in my final year at exeter received a message from a friend of my mum's who sent me a message to say you know hi how are you hope you're well uh sorry that this is a bit out of the blue but a friend of mine her daughter has just started and is really really struggling is there any chance you would be able to sort of get in touch with her and just you know let her know that you're around and so and I just sent her a whatsapp message and just said hi I know I know we've never met I I hope you don't mind me messaging you um I have like heard that things aren't necessarily going that well I made it very clear that that was not something I would ever pass on to anyone else in case she was worried. Um, I told her my address and I said, the door is always open. Um, you can call me at any point, at any time. And she read the message and, and never replied. I replied to my mum's friend and said, look, I've, I've sent this message. She has read it and not replied. So this was, you know, maybe a week and a half down the line. Would Could, could someone just let me know that she is in fact okay? Because obviously my mind went to the worst yeah. place of maybe I need to go and physically check on like where she, how she is. And, you know, um, I think unfortunately things had just got a bit too much and she'd left university and gone home. But I remember... S- the mum, the friend saying, oh, I hope you don't feel embarrassed that you sent her that message. And I remember thinking like, I'm good now. And it was no skin off my back to send her that message. She is the one currently struggling and it's completely her prerogative of how she wants to cope with that. All I can do is make myself accessible 
to her should she need help. And I think that's a really important thing. For example, I've told Pip this, uh, I sent a letter to someone who means a lot to me, but who is a very complicated person. A few years ago, he really wasn't doing well. And I sent him a letter. It put my neck out on the line a bit. Uh, I'd always cared about him more than he'd cared about me. So, you know, it could have looked a bit embarrassing. But I think if someone's really struggling and you want to let them know that you're thinking of them, there's never, that's never a bad thing. I think it's good to know that there's someone in the world, even if it's someone who you're like, that's a bit weird that they're thinking about me, but it's nice to know that someone else is sort of keeping you in their thoughts. Yeah, I so agree. And also it's it's not for you to be embarrassed. If, if you've let someone know that you're there for them, it's their choice as to whether or not they want to respond. No one will ever hate you for saying you're there for someone. And actually in putting yourself out there, for a reply or not the reason you're doing it's not for your satisfaction it's to be a potential help for them and then from that moment on it's their choice but it's always worth sending because would you rather they had a choice or and chose to speak to someone else or if you both didn't send a message they'd have had no one so it's always worth doing and going back to what I spoke about with Joey a little bit don't treat it like an elephant in the room. It, well, look at me here now saying it. The likelihood is unmanaged mental health, anxiety, depression affects someone very, very close to you, if not more than one person. But you don't need to pussyfoot around it. You just can yeah. say, hey, I've had similar experiences to you. Let me know if you ever want to talk. We don't even have to speak about how you're doing mentally. We can just go for a walk and talk about something else. Like, Exactly. In terms of how to help a sufferer I think that's a big one and our parents generation I think are so guilty of not being able to utter it anything and therefore there's this huge gap where they're not speaking to their children necessarily about it because they don't can't say it because they can't see it and I think that's quite unsettling for lots of people um but that's all incredibly helpful I think yeah just make it known don't leave any any level of ambiguity in the sufferer's mind that they can't reach out to you and then if they do even if it is shocking don't act shocked do the right thing Mm. if you need to get them a more serious level of help do so but never make that person feel like they are a freak or they are a weirdo or there's something really wrong with them because I'm sure most people if they could choose to live with or without they would probably wave goodbye to something that really consumes their brain that's a very good point some of the other other questions um talking a bit about the physical effects saying you sort of like a lot of people said heart palpitations bad breathing unmanaged breathing and no concentration physical pain in my chest feeling bruised like i was wearing a corset or like yeah. i'd been in a car accident realized that it has impacted my physical well-being you used to shake quite violently didn't you your body would be visible so did you have any really good I don't know breathing or well I have yeah it's quite this is actually sort of obviously now I look back and can see the comedy in this but at the time it was obviously quite distressing but um yeah unfortunately for me um the physical symptoms actually came before like the mental so it was like a pre-warning and it was this terrible thing where once the physical symptoms started, so it's only happened to me twice in my life. So my physical symptoms would be, um, my, wouldn't be able to regulate my body temperature would again, completely can relate to that, that feeling of feeling like you have a corset on for all the girls out there. 
I don't know if this would be possible for everyone, but I had to stop wearing bras because I couldn't deal with any form of... um, The restrictive. Yeah, I couldn't have anything around my chest that would make it feel like I was being compressed. Yeah, and then I would get this uh, chronic shaking. Yeah, probably like um, if you're really, really cold. And then I would unfortunately shake until I was sick. And this would happen at night. At sort of six-ish, I would then start to worry about the fact that I wasn't going to sleep because this shaking. There were lots of questions with sleeping problems and saying that that's how most people's anxiety manifests. So we can definitely talk about sleep in in a tiny bit. And then obviously the worst thing about sleep is that you get into a cycle of fear. So you then the following day, even if you think the day has gone well, it will get to sort of six-ish and you start to panic about not being able to sleep, which in turn makes you not sleep. So yeah, the things that I was advised to do actually, in terms of the shaking, the doctor told me to wrap myself as tightly as I could in my duvet, like a sushi roll. Basically, the reason you're shaking is because your muscles are releasing and contracting at like a really, really fast speed the way to stop it is to get your muscles into a constantly contracted state. Your body will then be able to calm itself down. So you need essentially compression. So you like a hug or yeah, wrap yourself in your duvet. The issue for me was that I got stuck once and I couldn't then get out, which obviously in the state I was in was the worst thing. So I have never tried it again because I was so panicky. I mean, it really, yeah, it really caused me to freak out. But that's why I think it's, you know, sometimes good to, if you're able to, have someone sleeping in your bed with you. When I get to that stage, all pride goes out the window. Oh. I, I would ask anyone because I'm so desperate to get better and for it to stop. So, yeah, asked the French Exchange Girls' mum, asked Taylor, obviously, my friend Luella, also, Headspace has uh, a whole sleep part to it, which personally I find really helpful because that really encourages the whole breathing, which naturally will slow your heart rate and allow your body to rest. That's another thing I took quite a lot of comfort in is that so long as your body is resting, you're still able to like regenerate your energy. So you don't actually necessarily need to be asleep. I think they if- call it sleep opportunity. So as long as you give yourself sleep opportunity, even if you are not asleep. Yeah. But the most important thing, which I've really tried to like hone this craft of not worrying about the fact you're not sleeping. Yes. There were a couple of people who said, oh, sleep anxiety, which I think is two kind of meanings. One, being really rubbish at sleeping and then being anxious about not being able to sleep, as you said. And I have always been an awful sleeper. My mum, I think, thought babies were so easy because my sister probably slept 12 hours a night from the age of three weeks old. And then I yeah. came along and am yet to sleep through the night. Age but, 23. And <laughs> um, for me, a huge impact is the regularity of breathing, being able to sink your more, I suppose, worried breath with someone who is a lot in a lot more of a steady state and also headspace amazing calm any kind of regular rhythm and noise and so i listen to um waves on spotify and i put the sleep timer on it's revolutionized how i go to sleep and i no longer take sleeping tablets and i remember listening to a study that said people who live by the ocean sleep so much better because of the regularity of the waves coming in and out so if you can't live by the sea 
try the waves, see how they are, and don't put the timer on for 10 minutes. Put it on for a couple of hours because there's nothing worse than being trying really just hard to go to sleep. You're just about to drop off and the timer stops and you think, oh no, that means it's quarter to one. I've got to get up at seven and I'm still not asleep. Yeah. Um, so definitely just put the timer on. You'll sleep. If you fall asleep, you'll probably sleep through it. It's not an aggressive sound at all. I remember going to the doctor just for sleep. I just needed more of my sleeping tablets. I had some, um, but they weren't like geographically with me. So I had to see a new doctor. She said, um, have you heard of yoga? Um, which the answer, was, the answer was, yes, I have. And I sat there and I thought, please don't tell me you're going to withhold my one key to sanity because there is quite literally nothing more exhausting than not having slept well. It's, there's just nothing more disruptive to your whole day. And I thought, it's exam time. Don't tell me you're going to withhold my sleeping pills and prescribe me yoga. But she did. And, and I'm not going to say she was right because I don't think she was completely right. And you know, Stephen Fry's done amazing research with, sort of with um, scientists. And they've said, you know, a combination of pharmaceutical and or psychological yeah. help is, you know, um, that kind of hybrid approach is, is what's really proven to be working and pharmaceutical if you need it um fine i don't think yoga has revolutionized my life that much but getting into a habit of doing something where you're only really concentrating on calming down i don't really do yoga in a traditional sense but i would follow a stretch routine for 20 minutes and as an as a knock-on effect i have to slow my breathing quite a lot and i feel a lot calmer someone said actually in the questions like having to take medication is a real knock i think there's a whole level of accepting and acceptance that's needed dealing with going on medication for the little shit i presume the little shit here is anxiety um firstly superb superb i I mean personally i didn't have any qualms about going on medication i appreciate that some people do they're worried about side effects or uh the medication doesn't sit well with them But I was so personally so grateful. And that was really good because that just enabled me to sleep a bit. So it kind of just knocked me out. Yeah, I felt a bit groggy for a couple of days, but at least my body was able to actually get the sleep that it had been deprived of for five days. So I had that. And then I was also given sertraline, which is uh, at a low dose, an anti-anxiety medication, and at a higher dose, an anti-depression, an antidepressant, sorry. And I was given that in my first year of university and I still take it every day. That I'm gonna try and come off it. I think this sort of next beginning of next year um, probably won't during the winter months because I definitely get the seasonal affective disorder. I never had any qualms about talking about it. The fact that I had to take medication because it did work so well for me and it really, really helped me. It helped me to cope. Just it just took me back to normal basically. So I I felt like I could just get on with my days. My brother and I refer to them as our crazy pills. Uh, we both use humour as a defence mechanism, so that's not meant to cause anyone any offence if you you also take them. But I then referred to them as that. I then also referred to them as that in front of my friends. So everyone that I'm close with knows about my crazy pills. They're not, it's not like a taboo secret. Yeah, that's so important. You know, if I was out of my crazies. Collect your crazies. They were like, oh, I've just got to go and get teased crazies. Just normalised the fact that it was as common as taking the contraceptive pill yeah. that you have to do every day sometimes. Always very open about, with like boys, I was very, if they ever asked like, oh, what, 
what are you what's that <laughs> what are you popping uh, what are you popping there um i would just explain i don't personally i never felt any shame about it i understand that some people feel yeah. like it's sort of a failure if you have to have a medication to help you but i also i don't know if this is something you've had but but i was like well it's not my fault oh yeah and how i view it is that if there is something which can help you be and feel much better if the only reason you're not taking it is because you don't want to be known as someone who takes medication for your mental health i don't think that's a good enough reason because i think if you start taking them your perspective will become a lot different you are still taking them but you're in a completely different place and I mean I my gorgeous housemate from last year she would talk about her counsellor's name like Charlotte as if it was another housemate she'd be like just gonna go see Charlotte or like oh so I was on the phone to Charlotte she was saying this and I just I love that. I love that kind of thing yeah it was same. so good and I, I wish I guess it's a kind of a collaborative effort and a lot of people won't feel comfortable referring to their pills as their crazies or won't even yeah. want people knowing. <laughs> but I think for people that do feel that, it's no one's fault. I think that it just comes back to that yeah. there is no blame game. You just stop playing the blame game because there isn't one. I think the more you educate and normalise it when you're younger, the trickle-down exactly. effect is massive and especially to those around you and then one day your own family. The, the biggest worry is that people don't talk and I feel very lucky that close friends who've gone through difficult times the ones I worry about the least the ones I know who are talkers knowing that person's a talker even if it's not you they're talking to um exactly is so super reassuring so definitely sack the taboo on drugs I mean like prescription drugs yeah. sack the taboo on the ad- advised um medication for you and or take them for the rest of your life if you need to. Just do whatever's That's best for you. Everyone's different. There are so many different and so many, and people are so different in their makeup, uh, like genetic makeup. There are plenty of ways that you can help. I mean, I had a sleeping pill at one point that made me lose my hearing for about an hour in the morning. And I was thinking, this is not great. <laughs> kind of really inconvenient. And so I just changed it. And there's there's no way that only it's, it's not a one size fits all thing. There are just so many millions and millions of options out there so definitely don't give up on one if it's not quite right the first time also in that regard if you're if you don't if you're not at all familiar with it yourself but someone around you is don't make it out as if it's some really weird thing just yeah just be be a bit more normal and if you're not sure educate yourself before you give a really uneducated offensive opinion about anything in general to anyone Whatever you need to do to be able to help you get up and get through the day. Let's do one more. Yeah. Just another another phrase I use, which maybe other people can enjoy, um, which again my brother taught me, is in terms of like because sometimes it can be difficult to describe sort of what's going on in your in your brain and and how your your mind just feels a bit clouded. I normalize the term um, like having wasps in your brain. Sometimes. I'd come downstairs and everyone would be like, oh, morning, how are you? And I'd be like, oh, just the wasps are back. And everyone just then knew what that meant. And then it becomes like it doesn't have to be something that's unique to me. If, you know, they were anxious because of an event or because of something specific, they would then use the phrase. They'd be like, oh, you know, this exam's just giving me wasps. The wasps are here. It just became a thing that we that we said. And then it, I mean, obviously, I'm sure subconsciously just made me feel like, 
whatever you know like you say some people might never have really experienced it and then all of a sudden they're really nervous about an event or an exam and it just so doesn't matter it's the important thing is being able to kind of communicate that to someone um just so they know where your head's at because everyone has very different experiences feeling your anxiety or your mental health issues that you know to be true but you feel like society will say they're not big enough to go to a doctor or not serious enough to be put on medication that is partly that's the anxiety talking uh in your brain that's part of the wasps but also if any if anyone in your life ever tells you what you know to be true and what you yourself know you are feeling is not valid or is too little to be like dealt with you're really going to need to cut that person out because (laughs) that is not helpful it is never anyone else's place to tell you how you know you feel i think that that's something really important and part of helping each other is validating each other's experiences and saying you know okay yes everything's relative you know you're maybe not like even now i'm relatively so much better than i was two years ago like not even in the same league almost Mm. but it's still uh something that i need to consider and carry on continue to work on if we just do one more question and then sort of being at school and having anxiety which i think is fascinating because i mean i'll try and keep this really short but for example really good male friend of mine who's spoken about his anxiety publicly before the way his anxiety manifested versus mine was so completely different so for example I was overly loud overly confident seemed overly fine whereas other people might like not come to school or they'd be so low that they'd be it would be really obvious and teachers would think oh it's something not up with them whereas they would never have reason to worry about me which I think was kind of yeah, scary no, exactly a scary thought really I was just very all over the shop and at school from the age of sort of 15 to 18 it manifested in um self-harm and the way that I then dealt with that was being in as you say I was overly like I was just OTT very confident very loud and I openly bashed self-harming in front of my parents to my friends um I would always say like oh I don't get why people do that doesn't help them and it was kind of like my rational brain saying everything that I knew to be true even though I knew every night I was going to bed and um, yeah doing it I just remember thinking like oh it's fine because it's my seat I I sort of reveled in having my own secret I was like it's mine I can control this no one else in the world knows thank you so much for chatting so openly and honestly and thank you for loving me as a friend even though I have really ugly hands that you um that you don't like that's how you judge your friends I can't put mine up to the camera because they're swollen because they're warm I've just had to take my ring off it's the one thing if hey look if you are a handsome man and you want to be one of my suitors (laughs) check your hands first and get a hand transplant before I mean I'm all about not changing someone else but this gal she's not going to look at your hands for the rest of her life if they're really ugly it's the first thing I notice about someone is their hands but that doesn't necessarily mean that I like I'm not friends with people that have weird hands okay it's just something I notice about them my hands aren't weird they just swell up slightly yeah and you also (laughs) have so many other fantastic attributes so don't you worry about it 
I want to say a huge thank you to Tallulah for speaking with such authenticity and making what can be an uncomfortable topic really quite normal. Don't forget to check her out on TikTok, of course, for some extraordinary content and help her go viral so that she can get noticed by the Australian man of her dreams. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back very soon.